me start this morning with a little bit of parenting advice to those of you who are parents of, of young children here this morning. My advice to you would be, enjoy being brilliant while they let you be brilliant. Okay, enjoy those moments that you have right now when your kids ask you questions that you know. You know, display your grand knowledge of the galaxies when they ask you about stars and moons and tell them all that you know and they'll be amazed at you. When they ask you to help them decipher the mystery of the alphabet, show them how you know how to turn word, letters into words and words into sentences and sentences into stories and read them a book and you'll amaze them, right? Because you're brilliant. When they come to you asking for help with their math homework, show them long division on paper. They'll be amazed at how it works. And then just wow them with a little bit of uh, multiplying fractions at the same time. Right? You're brilliant when your kids are little. Enjoy it while you can. Because as I got older, I know a lot less now than I used to know. Okay? And they prove it to me all the time, right? I used to be brilliant too. Now I am far from brilliant. Right? They don't need my help anymore. They don't need me to read to them. They know how to read themselves. In fact, they know how to read in another language now. They're way beyond me. Right? And they don't, they don't need my knowledge of how the world works. In fact, if anything, I need their knowledge now. I bring them my phone and say, can you tell me how to fix this on my phone? Because I don't have a clue. Right? They're a lot smarter now. And they certainly don't come to me for help with their math homework. They learned that about third grade that they're beyond dad now, right? I'm not nearly as smart as I used to be. But I've been told that in about five to ten years I'm going to get smart again. They're going to come back and, and want my insight. So enjoy being brilliant while you can because pretty soon they're going to ask you questions that, that you can't explain. They're going to want answers, right? They're going to ask you to explain to them how a car engine works and you're going to have to try to explain that and that's really hard. They're going to ask you, how come gas prices keep going up and down and up and down? And you're going to say, I don't know. I have no clue. They're going to ask you why we call them hamburgers when there's no ham in them. They're going to ask you why we park on driveways and drive on parkways. And you say, I don't have a clue. It doesn't make any sense. And sometimes they're going to ask you to explain God to them. And, and you're going to have some answers to give them. You're going to be able to, to talk to them about God's creative power in creating this whole world. And you're going to be able to tell them the story of of Jesus coming to earth and living and dying and rising again. And you're going to be able to tell them that the Holy Spirit's going to move in their hearts and maybe already has to help them believe and to change their life. There's a lot you're going to be able to tell them. And then there's some mysteries about God that you're going to throw your arms and say, I, I don't know. I don't get it. There's questions they're going to ask that you won't be able to answer probably because you don't know the answer. You're still searching yourself because we can't solve all the mysteries of God. And this morning we're going to look at one of those mysteries that kind of leaves us baffled when we dig deeply enough. Right? The Belgic Confession has four articles. I'm going to email you. If you're on the email list I've been sending out, I'm going to email you those four articles this week for you to read. And they all talk about the characteristics we know of God. Right? And we're going to look at Article 8 that Lynn read for us earlier. Because after you've told your child 
about God creating everything and about Jesus coming to save us and about the Holy Spirit now working in our lives and in our world today, they're probably going to, to ask you about all these three different gods that we have. You're going to say, no, 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 we don't have three gods. We have just one. And they're going to be confused by the mystery of the Trinity that you just introduced to them. Right? There's a lot about God that we understand that we can explain, but there'll always be another part, a fuller understanding that's beyond us, and we won't know until we finally meet God face to face. And the Trinity is one of those. But at some point, when you're digging into the Trinity, when you're trying to understand it, you've got to reach the point, you're going to reach the point, that if you were here last week, remember that, that electrical engineering professor reached when he was talking about ball lightning, where he finally said, you know, the, the world is full of things that aren't understood. In fact, almost nothing is understood. You reach that point with God. God's full of things we don't understand. In fact, there's so much we don't understand. But some things we do understand about God and about the Trinity are written clearly in Article 8 of the Belgian Confession. Lynn read it for you earlier. I'm going to read parts of it again for you right now. Pay attention to the things we know the things we can declare we know and the things that we don't know. What confuses you? This is what it says. It says, in keeping with this truth, talking about the scripture that we just read about earlier, Articles 1 through 7, knowing God. In keeping with this truth in the word of God, we believe in one God who is one single essence in whom there are three persons, really, truly, and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties, namely Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This distinction does not divide God into three, since Scripture teaches us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit each has its own subsistence, distinguished by characteristics, yet in such a way that these three persons are only one God. There is neither a first nor a last, for all three are one in truth, in power, in goodness, and in mercy. Okay, there's some big declarations in there. Things that you can teach your kids and talk about. Things that have been revealed by God in his word. Like, we can declare that God exists in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We can declare that there's still only one God. We can explain terms through there to our kids. Like, what it means to be of one essence. What it means to be three persons. We can explain incommunicable properties if you understand what incommunicable is. Right? Incommunicable. Here's your, your free theology lesson for the day. Incommunicable properties are those properties that Father, Son, and Spirit all share together. Things like being infinite. Things like being unchanging. Things like being uncreated. And it says, and, and then you have the Father, Son, and Spirit who have their characteristics that are all their own. Properties that are all their own as well. Okay, there's a lot we can know. We, we find out from Scripture that the Trinity is real. It explains it to us a little bit, right? You go back to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of, of God's story written down here, and you have the creation narrative, right? Listen, listen to these verses, and notice the pronouns God uses. He says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Do you ever notice you have both a plural pronoun when God is talking about himself, and then you have the singular pronoun? Right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together. Right? And at Jesus' baptism, they all show up together as well. Matthew 3. All three of the persons of the Trinity are in one location. It says, as soon as Jesus, the Son, was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove, alighting upon him. And then a voice from heaven also said, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together. Matthew 28, Jesus himself commands us to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Even the Christmas story, right? We just finished Christmas, and you read the Christmas story, you often miss that when the angel comes and talks to Mary to tell her that she's going to give birth to Jesus, the Son of God, all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned there. What does the angel say? The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, that's the Father, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Finally, Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, ends with a Trinitarian blessing. Right? He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay, so we, we see the evidence in Scripture that the Trinity is real. It's a fact. You can pull out our theology books, get all kinds of answers and explanations and understandings. We can know a lot about our one God and three persons. But you dig deeply enough, you don't have to go too deep, and you'll find that the mystery still remains. We're still trying to understand what that means. We're still trying to explain God because we keep on discovering how much we really don't know. We try all kinds of analogies. You probably have heard of them as someone tried to teach you the Trinity, right? We hold up an apple and say that the Trinity is like an apple. It's got the, the peel and the flesh and the core, but it's still one apple. Or, or we say the Trinity is like water, right? It can be ice or it can be liquid or it can be vapor, and yet it's still water. Or we say you get created, the Trinity is like an egg, right? It's got the shell, it's got the egg white, it's got the yolk, yet it's still one egg. All those analogies, whatever analogy you've ever heard, they all crack. They all begin to fall apart. None of them really work. Because at some point, we need to just admit that there's a mystery here that we don't fully comprehend. That's what it means to be studying God, right? We can't know all of God. St. Augustine, years ago, finally admitted in his study of God, he said, since it's God that we're speaking of, you do not understand it. If you could understand it, it would not be God. Right? Or in our own century, Charles Spurgeon said, As well might a gnat seek to drink in the ocean as a finite creature to comprehend the eternal God. Just know when you start to study God, to try and discover who he is, that if we could comprehend God, and if we could explain him away, if we could make him more manageable for us, then he wouldn't be God anymore. By definition, God is beyond us. And yet, by his grace, he's revealed himself to us so that we can begin this process of understanding him. 
so that we can know of Him and know Him. Why would God do that? Why in the world would God go through this hassle of revealing Himself to us if He knew we wouldn't be able to understand Him? Why reveal Trinity if He knew that it would just confuse us? And I think God reveals himself to us, gives us a glimpse into the mystery of the Trinity. Not only to learn more about God, but so that we might learn more about ourselves. That's the lesson of the Trinity that we get. The lessons of the Trinity are not just about God out there. They're about us, about you, and about me. You see, we are created in the image of God, right? You've heard that. You're created in the image of God. That doesn't mean you look like him physically. That doesn't mean God has two eyes and a nose and a mouth. We are created to reflect the image of God, and that means we share the same values and we share the same realities that we see in God the Father. It means we share the same values and realities that we learn through the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, that means it would be logical that the better we understand who God is, the better we understand who we are created to be. So what lessons are we to learn from the Trinity? I think there's three of them. First of all, from the truth of the Trinity, we learn a lesson about unity. Hey, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one in purpose. From the very beginning of time all the way to the end of time, Father, Son, Holy Spirit share one shared common goal. Right? Their goal is to be in a loving, saving relationship with us. And there is no deviation from that goal. And there is no bickering or arguing among them about that goal. And there is no diversion from any of them from that purpose. Right? That was one of the great temptations of Jesus to, to, to step away from that goal. If there's some other way, find some other way because I don't want to do this. And yet he stayed true to that goal. All of them stay true to that purpose. Everything they do works for the salvation of God's people. When we look at the Trinity of God, we see complete unity around one common purpose. And that, my friends, is a lesson that you and I desperately need to hear. We desperately need to learn. Because our purpose as individuals, our life purpose as a church community, those purposes are so often fractured and divided. The purposes we live for are so often just plain selfish or just, just plain wrong. You see, God has given you and me as individuals, he's given us together as a church community, the very same purpose that he has, he's called us to share it. He has called you and I to be unified around that one purpose, to imitate him, to come together and to work out his salvation plan to grow God's kingdom here in this time, in this place. Jesus himself, remember his final command to his disciples and to all of us? 
He said, go and make disciples, baptize and teach. In other words, go and continue to do what I have already been doing. Live out this purpose that you saw me living. Be unified in that. And you and I so often lose that purpose. We we lose the unity that comes around that purpose. And when we don't, we don't want to do what God wants us to do. Instead, we want to do what we want to do. Our purposes matter more. And when our purposes get involved, when our opinions and desires get involved in this discussion, then we lose the unity of purpose that God has given to us. That's when we start bickering and fighting about secondary issues. Right? We begin bickering and fighting and dividing over whether we immerse or sprinkle when we baptize. And, and we begin to argue about whether we have words on the screen or sing out of a book. And, or do we elect elders and deacons with lots or, or, or elect? Or do we like the music on a Sunday morning? Do we like the sermon? Do we like the pastor? And the list goes on and on of all these things that then divide us. They divide communities. They divide denominations. Sadly, they even divide families sometimes. Secondary issues get the power to divide us when we lose sight of that unity of purpose that God has called us to. I think the first lesson that the Trinity teaches us is a lesson of unity to never lose sight of that primary purpose that God has given us. You and I together are unified by the cause of letting God bring his kingdom to this world through you and through me. That's what unites us. And within this unity, we celebrate diversity. That's the second lesson of the Trinity. Because you look at the Trinity and you will see great diversity. Right? The Belgic Confession points to their diversity very clear, clearly. It goes through each person of the Trinity. Right? It says the Father. He's the cause, the origin, the source of all things, visible as well as invisible. The Son? A little bit different here. He's the, the Word, the wisdom, the image of the Father. The Spirit? is the eternal power and might proceeding from the Father and the Son. In other words, they all have their own different characteristics. The Father isn't the same as the Son. The Son isn't the same as the Spirit. There is a wonderful diversity. A wonderful diversity within their unity that allows and empowers them to accomplish their one purpose that unifies them. So the confession shows us that, that we have God the Father who's the powerful creator of all things. And we have the Son who's the image of the Father in human form, the redeemer of this fallen creation. And you have the Holy Spirit who's the power of God moving in our hearts and in our world still today. And all three of them are unified by that common purpose, but all three of them play a different role in accomplishing that task. It's a beautiful thing. And if you and I are going to reflect the image of God in our lives and in our community, then we need to learn to celebrate that same diversity in our lives and in our church body as well. 
within this common goal that God has given us. He's brought us together as a family of God, as, a, as people who are very, very different from each other. We have a different abilities and preferences and talents and passions. In this room, we have different ways of learning and different ways of communicating. We look different from each other. We act different. We worship different. And far too often, those differences become a reason for divisiveness within the family of God. We let those differences drive us apart. It's those kinds of differences that often lead us towards racism and sexism and bigotry and hatred. All of which God hates and demands that his followers stand against, right? But we, as followers of Jesus Christ, recognize that diversity is a gift from God. He makes us all different so that each of us can play a different role in accomplishing the task that he's given us to share. We need each other. We need each other with all of our diversity to fulfill that purpose God gives. And until we reflect God's image in our diversity, right, working together and appreciating each other's diversities, until then we will continue to be sidetracked from the purposes that God gives us. Unity, diversity. And the third lesson that we learn from ourselves as we learn the truth about the Trinity is a lesson of community. How do we find the three persons of the Trinity interacting together in Scripture? What kind of community are they? What do they do for each other? You ever think about that? Read through Scripture when you see them talking about each other or in, even interacting together and you will see that the trinity is a community that celebrates encourages and loves each other the trinity is a community that continually lifts each other up so you'll find places in scripture where god the father points at jesus christ his son and the father says and the father says you know look at my boy that's my boy. I'm so proud of him. I love him. You know, all of you would be really wise to do what he says. Look at him. The father celebrates the son. And in return, Jesus, the son, points back at the father and says, Hey, all I'm trying to do is obey you. I'm trying to follow your plan, father, because it's a great plan. So everybody, look at my father. Isn't he great? And then Jesus also has times where he points to the Holy Spirit. He tells his disciples, he says, you know, you think it's been great having me around with all the miracles and the, the teachings that we've been doing? You just wait till the Holy Spirit comes. Then you're going to see some spiritual fireworks. The Holy Spirit's awesome. And what's the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit's whole job as he comes and moves in our world and moves in our hearts is to point us back to the Father and back to the Son. He convicts and convinces us of God's great love for us and the saving truth of Jesus' work. The Spirit points us to the Father and the Son, and the circle is complete. Right? In the Trinity, there's a wonderful community of love and humility as they value each other highly 
and serve each other selflessly. Value each other highly. Serve each other selflessly. Boy, what would that look like if that described this community right here? If we were described as a community that valued each other highly and served each other selflessly, what would it take for the world to see us, for us to be known as a community that loves, as a community that serves, as a community who who thinks of others more highly than themselves, as a community of humility and grace. Wow, a community like that in a culture like ours here today, that would leave people scratching their heads in wonder, wouldn't it? That would be countercultural. That would be a community that would attract people. Because you know what people are looking for in life? They're looking for a place to belong. They're looking for a place to find value, a place to have purpose. They're looking for a loving community. It's exactly what people are looking for. And that's what it means for you and for me to be created in the image of God. It means we're living in unity, celebrating diversity, and building community. You know, the Trinity will always remain a mystery. None of us will be able to fully explain it until we see God face to face. It's a reality that we will never have a complete answer for, and that's okay. That's not a bad thing. Right? If there's no mystery, then God wouldn't be God. But it's a mystery that should motivate us. It's a mystery that should motivate us to find out more about God. To try and understand Him better. A mystery that motivates us to learn to love Him better. To experience Him more fully. Why? So that we can imitate Him more fully. So that we can be people who live out life as image bearers of God. And we know what that means. We've seen enough. God has revealed enough of Himself as our Creator, as our Savior, as our Leader. Father, Son, and Spirit. Now we know that we need to grow in unity. We need to appreciate diversity. And we need to build community as we live out the image of God. Which one of those three areas is God asking you to work on? To grow in. To show the world what it means to be follower of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for entrusting us with yourself. That you'd even try and reveal your greatness, your your mystery to us. 
who will fall so far short in understanding who you are and explaining who you are. And yet you still give us glimpses and beginning understandings of you. I pray that you give each one of us a true desire to know you, a passion to seek out the truth of who you are, not just for knowledge's sake, not just to have head information, but because you called us to be image bearers of you. And if we don't know who you are, what you value, what your purposes are, what your goals and desires are, then we won't know what our purposes and goals should be and what we should value in life. So give us a passion to know you and then give us a passion to be and become more like you. So that this world might be shocked and amazed at how we behave, at how we speak, at how we live in community together. As they see your community living together in truth and in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Worship team, would you come forward please? Would all of you please stand with me?